Welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Derek Osgood, who is the founder and CEO at Ignition. Hello, Derek. How are you? And thanks for being on the show. Not too bad. Not too bad, Sean. Excited to, excited to jam on some stuff. Same here, man. Very excited for what we have planned to talk about. Before we get into that, if it's okay with you, I'd love for our audience to learn more about your background. So if you can uh, share any of those details with them and take them to how you got to where you are today. Yeah, yeah, sure thing. So, so my background basically historically, I've run you know marketing and product marketing teams kind of throughout the throughout Silicon Valley. So early on in my career, I was actually in gaming. I was at PlayStation launching big AAA games as a product manager, um, and then you know I've pretty much kind of been in and or around venture back startups ever since. So. I've you know run, built, and managed go-to-market processes in every possible vertical you can imagine at early stage, mid stage, late stage companies, um, ranging from like payments and field service management to you know mobile mobile app developers for for uh, consumers and messaging. Um, I you know did some fintech stuff, so I ended up joining uh, BBVA. Uh, which is a big Spanish bank for anybody who's not familiar, um, that, and basically ran uh, ran marketing across a whole portfolio of companies that we had either created and incubated in house, or you know had invested in or acquired. And so we were actually launching not just products, but launching companies. Um, and then most recently, you know, I was running uh, product marketing as kind of an early early hire at Rippling, um, helped them scale up from seed to to about twenty million in ARR or so, and. Uh, Basically, you know, I, I has, across my whole career, like you know, a big challenge at every single one of these companies has just been you know figuring out the launch process and like figuring out how to actually build a repeatable launch process that in that uses insights appropriately and actually weaves that into the the plans that are being created. Coordinating all those plans across all the different stakeholders involved in the company, both internal and external, and then you know announcing that stuff effectively to customers and. That process has always been broken, and so you know this is kind of personal pain point. Like I, I, you know, decided to start Ignition because I had finally had one too many companies that I had created, like tried to build out this process by hacking together a whole bunch of different tools and documents, and it just w- wasn't cutting it. So you know, I decided that there needed to be a platform around this, um, and ran out to go start my own thing. <laughs> Very cool. And I, uh, I'm going to have to second or third or however many times uh, upvote exactly what you're working on because I've got that personal experience myself as well, too. That is a very difficult problem to solve. A lot of companies really struggle with it. So uh, that's why I'm that excited about what you guys are doing over at Ignition. So super cool. I was going to ask you more about that. So thank you for sharing kind of more about the value proposition at Ignition. And um, I know one of the things we wanted to dive into further here as well, too, which is a big part of that as well in your background, which is product marketing. And this is an area where I've seen like a ton of activity in the market. Uh, Folks in my network that have product marketing skills get scooped up like so fast. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I remember making like one referral a while back when one of my product marketing friends like, hey, I'm looking for something new. You know, anybody that you may recommend? I made like one or two referrals. And by the time I had done that, they were already off the market. (laughs) So (laughs) skills have uh, been very hard to come by and a lot of competition for anybody who has that ability. I would love for you to talk a little bit more about how you define product marketing and perhaps why it's so high in demand at the moment. Yeah, totally. I mean, I I feel like product marketing is kind of at this inflection point where it's sort of where product management was 10 or 15 years ago, um, where... 
it's, it's now like the fastest growing role in marketing. It's the most in demand. I constantly am getting bombarded by people who are asking for referrals to product marketers um, since we're selling to them and talking to them on a regular basis. Um, and I, I think like defining product marketing is always tricky because it, it, it does vary company to company and it kind of depends on like what your product management structure looks like. But I like to think of this actually through kind of a visual where, you know, I think if you think about the way that products get built, you have the product manager who kind of sits at the center of eng and design and like UX research. And they're kind of acting as the interface between all those different teams, as well as the ones kind of going out and like collecting customer requirements and then building the kind of like top level strategy around products. Um, I think product marketing actually serves a similar function. They're sort of the product manager of the go-to-market process. And so they kind of sit at the center of product and sales and CX and marketing. And they are acting as the voice of the customer to help make sure that the things that are getting built are being communicated in a way that you know the customer will actually understand and resonate with. Um, they're also the ones who are really defining you know, the go-to-market strategy around the products that they manage. And so they're thinking holistically about what is the sales motion that you're using? What is the pricing and packaging of that product? Where, where is the right market to introduce it to? And so you know, they kind of act as like, you know, I, the simple version is like, they're sort of the, the brains of the operation when you're talking about general marketing strategy um, and introducing products to customers. Um, but it's it's a really fascinating role and it, it does vary company to company. They're also the ones who end up like doing a lot of asset creation. And I think, you know, if you looked at product marketing five to 10 years ago, a lot of them ended up being glorified kind of like deck builders and sales and admit teams. And the reality is like the where product marketing is shifting to is what is much closer to my own personal experience with product marketing, which is a much more strategic function that's really driving all the activity of all these other teams that are, you know, executing on, you know, building out the, the go-to-market itself. Yeah, that, that help, that's super helpful to have better context around how to think of product marketing as well as the history, right? Uh, and what you shared there, a lot of the heavy emphasis on like go-to-market, GDM kind of component, right, which is just critical. So, so important for especially these early stage firms to try to figure out because it means everything when it comes to try and get some traction, right? So um, I'd love to hear you talk more about, I guess it probably overlaps to an extent with the value proposition in terms of what you're working on in Ignition, but with all your experience and having done this over and over again, um, I'm sure folks that are listening in are curious to learn from you in terms of like, what does that process look like? like in terms of what you figured out when it comes to, you know, doing this work and launching new products, like what do you think are the strategies that work? What are the strategies that don't work? Uh, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, it, so the, the specific strategies do tend to vary a bit company to company. I mean, there are there are some really like high level kind of general marketing strategies that you can approach, whether you're taking like a category creation approach, you're probably going to be creating a lot more educational content to define that's more focused on the problem than on the solution. Um, if you're taking a competitive switching approach, you're probably doing a lot of you know, direct promotion to competitors, users, and you are providing a bunch of discounting to them for switching over. But I think like when you think about go-to-market strategy as a whole, um, ultimately, you know, most of this comes down to having a process and have it and, and actually running a process where you are going and collecting 
research up front that informs the rest of the process. So you need to go and conduct competitive analysis to understand what existing perceptions exist around your product. Then you need to go out and conduct customer research to understand what do your customers actually care about? What are their perceptions around those competitors that you were looking at? Um, and then build out a you know positioning, messaging, go-to-market strategy um, based off of the learnings from that process. So you know when you're thinking about positioning, you need to, to establish like who you, who you're for, why they should care about you, and what is truly unique and different about your product that makes it you know 10x better than whatever they're using today. Um, then translate that into you know copy assets etc that can be used to to promote and tell that story and design a narrative around it um, and then you know like obviously there's the there's figuring out distribution plans around what channels you should be focusing on I think you know too many companies end up treating the positioning and messaging exercise as an afterthought and they definitely treat the research portion of this as an afterthought, you know, they, they haven't done their homework on what customers really care about. And so all their positioning and messaging is focused on like me, me, me. It's what, what did I build and what story do I want to tell to you as opposed to putting the messaging in the customer's shoes and understanding like, what does the customer care about? Um, and that's what happens when you don't do research. But um the other big pitfall is that companies end up treating the actual promotional process again as an afterthought. They're like, hey, we're gonna, you know, we built this thing. Let's go send an email and like send 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 one email is the entire way that we're gonna announce the announce the new thing that we built to customers or to prospects. And then they're all gonna love it and use it and you know, we'll get a bunch of revenue out of it. And the reality is like you need multi-channel touch points. You need a, a full buyer journey where you're communicating that thing over and over to people because they won't see your first message, they'll forget about it, that they you know may not be ready to use it and buy at that at that point in time. So you really need to make it feel like it's everywhere in order to drive the kind of adoption that you want. And the only way that you do that is if you really go through like a real planning cycle and you actually think about this stuff holistically through the lens of all the different ways that you can communicate it to customers. And then, you know, like the coordination challenges are, are a whole different ball game. It's like different teams in the company need different bits and pieces of information. And it's a huge pain to get that to them. Um, so, you know, that I could go on and on about, about that bit too, but <laughs> mostly well about, you know, have, have a strategy and like have a planning process that is also repeatable. Yeah. So there's a lot, a uh, lot that you just mentioned. It's really important to get right. as part of this process. Otherwise, right. Results will vary. <laughs> it's probably the best way to say it. Yeah. Uh, I've been there myself personally. So I've, I've still got those scars. Um, and there's a couple of things I heard you mention as well, too. And I, there's two questions in particular that I definitely want to dive into. I'll hit the first one first. And that was kind of related to the marketing effort. So perhaps after you've started to do some of the discovery efforts, some of the research, and you've got some idea for initial traction, number one, it, it's awesome that you mentioned to make sure that everything is being positioned from the perspective of the customer. Because so often I'm coming across folks that are describing it in the way that they would like to describe it, but it's clearly missing the customer element. I just don't hear those. I don't hear that when they're describing it, right? Like customer wants this, customer doesn't want that, those type of things. And those, those can be make or break, right? So really important distinction to make there. But when it comes to investing in different marketing channels, right? You mentioned multiple channels, which I totally agree with as well too. 
and this is thing I, this is something I've gone back and forth with time to time again as well. Also, in terms of like investing in direct marketing, investing in indirect marketing, thinking it from the perspective of performance, measuring the ROI, tracking the analytics, all these types of things. There's a whole world to kind of unpack there, but I'm curious to get kind of your best advice here based on what you've seen work, because I know that's that's a big area that folks like to focus in as well, too. And a lot of people get lost in it because it's just like can't get complicated and really diverse fast. Yep. It's funny, like this is I, I could do an entire podcast on this. Um, yeah. The reality, so so I think we're a lot of like modern marketing teams that are a little bit less kind of experienced with the kind of holistic go-to-market planning motion um, fall down. Is that they end up measuring for impact as a or sorry, measuring for efficiency rather than measuring for impact. And what that does is it biases you towards purely focusing on individual channels in isolation and focusing on individual channels. And it really like ends up making direct response marketing look a lot better than some of the indirect stuff. And the right way to think about this is what does it take in the customer's shoes to motivate them to make a purchase. And so they have a journey. Like they're not going to, you know, in most cases, they're probably not going to be ready to buy the first time they hear about you. They're not going to go immediately like click an ad that you're running at them. If they do, great. Your ad platform is going to look like it's performing like crazy, but you're probably not motivating any new customers who are not ready to buy in that instance to buy your product. So you have to think about this as a marketing mix. Like it, it, it truly is all of these channels contribute to each other. And so what you want to have happen is that have a real journey where a customer sees or hears you through an indirect channel, like you know, maybe you did a uh, you did some PR and you got some press. So they hear about you through that, and then they get hit two days later with a direct ad through a search ad that drives them into a piece of content that you're running. And that piece of content educates them more about how that product is going to benefit their life and you know how they get onboarded to it and what their buying process should be like. And then they will get they will finally convert, you know, after a couple of touches. And so you have to think about you're providing air cover with these indirect ad or indirect channels to build awareness and to just pique people's interest so that when they do get hit with a direct message, then that direct message has a higher likelihood of converting them into the buyer path that you want them to follow. So you actually have to think of this these things as a system as opposed to thinking of them as like, should I be doing direct marketing or indirect marketing? Should I be doing you know X channel or Y channel? It's all of these things work together. Yeah, I really like that take and how you described it as a system, almost thinking of it like a full marketing experience, right? Where the, I think one of the really important things you mentioned here is if you're evaluating them from like a channel by channel and you're pitting them all against one another, what you're missing there is the combined effort in terms of them working together to push the mission forward, right? Because like you said, really hard to measure the ROI on indirect marketing, right? Did that work? Did that not work? Or did we get customers? Did we not, right? Indirect marketing is not necessarily designed to do that, right? Like, why is it so hard for people to forget that Coca-Cola is a popular soda because there's billboards everywhere, <laughs> right? It's like ingrained and burned into our subconscious that has, there's a time and a place where that stuff is like, can be very effective, right? And I think one of the things you described that I like a lot is how that can be so complementary to the direct marketing that you then do, right? So there's a balance to strike there. And it's about figuring out kind of 
what's the right balance or the most effective version of that, which works well for whatever it is you're trying to do with your product. So I think that's an excellent way to describe it. Um, So another topic I wanted to ask you about as well, too, because I really like your take on it and conversations we've had in the past is thinking through building out your prototype, when Mm -hmm. to ship, how to start testing, thinking about like the build phase and how far to go. Uh, We talked, I mean, you mentioned kind of a little bit earlier, the like field of dreams approach, right? If you build it, they will come kind of thing. And uh, I've had a lot of experience myself, unfortunately, personally, but also professionally and working with others to know very well that that doesn't work. Uh, So, and then even more so people are always trying to figure out, right? What's, how do I strike the right balance of, you know, when do I build? What do I build? How do I test? You know, at what point do I have enough to really start getting the type of feedback that I'm looking for? And what am I looking for in terms of feedback? So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about your philosophy here as well. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think generally my my advice to most startups is like ship as fast as possible, get people to pay or at least give some kind of investment of time, energy, or you know, social capital if they're not going to pay you dollars up front before you ever don't build anything until you've actually got some confirmation that like people actually want the thing that you're building. So, you know, our process was was exactly that. We went out and we got some companies to commit to using us and being, you know, beta customers before we ever even wrote a line of code. A couple of them ended up being investors, which was another signal where we're like, oh, okay, you're willing to invest your personal money into our vision. That clearly means that there's something here. Um, and then, you know, I think go and build as much as you feel like it takes to get to deliver some kind of value to them. And so it's about building a series of hypotheses and testing those continuously. Like there is no right or wrong answer on when the right time to ship something is. It's just as soon as you feel like you can actually go learn something that's helpful to you in the next phase of product development. Um, like with with our product, it, it's funny because I, I think we historic like we haven't really followed the like true kind of lean startup approach. We've actually built a pretty huge amount of platform before we really started even like rolling customers on aggressively or you know charging people. Um, so I'm kind of I kind of ignored a lot of my own advice here, but. Um, part of that was because we're building for myself as a persona. So like, I, you know, I, I knew kind of like where these pain points are and I knew that it was a real problem. Um, but I think we, we did ship like a very broken version of the product back in, you know, October or so of last year. And we, and we said, Hey, like we've got enough built that, you know, we can start testing a couple of the hypotheses that we've got and let's see if like this lands and if anybody is interested in using this. And it was pretty broken. And like, you know, honestly, a lot of the the early like alpha users that we rolled on, like ended up churning a lot of those people who kind of committed, you know, before we ever started building stuff, ended up churning off. And we're like, okay, cool. Let's go back. Let's go back to drawing board. Let's do a little bit more iteration. And we built a little bit more. And then we shipped another version that was again, like a little bit less broken, but still kind of broken in in, uh, January. And then, you know, learned a bunch of stuff about like what was and wasn't working because that time we got more people in that time, more people were, were more deeply invested in the, in using it and testing it. And so we got a little better feedback and then we, uh, you know, built some more over the, over Q1. And like, now we're, you know, now we're at the point where we're shipping, you know, like what feels like a relatively robust product and, you know, people are sticking around and using it and liking it. And so it's, you have to like be comfortable with like some people are going to hate it in the beginning and like ship something that's broken and just make sure that if you're doing that, you're doing it with intentionally and you have like what specific learnings that you're trying to figure out 
the answers to, and you have an idea of like what constitutes success or failure there so that you can then optimize around it. Yeah, that's a really good point. The intentionality element is so important, right? I love the mentality as well too, like shipping fast, right? Failing fast, but learning throughout that process, right? Shipping, I feel like we should all feel much more comfortable shipping broken products, right? Because it's very hard to learn if you're waiting to perfect something, which might never come, And just to get that data and that feedback, right? And if you are, you know, hopefully not way off base, but if you are and you waited that long and you invested all that time, money and effort, and it's like, if only I had done this sooner, I've had so many unfortunate conversations with folks where it's like, I spent two years going down the wrong path. And it's like, that's the unfortunate outcome that you might unfortunately find yourself at if you don't listen to Derek's advice. <laughs> it's basically what I'm getting at. And that like, if you really want to test it, ship it, like ship it at 75% or whatever, maybe even sooner than that. And then it's almost a form of validation in itself as well, too. If people are willing to use a product with less than ideal experience or something that isn't fully featured yet, right? So if they're willing to jump through more hoops, uh, that's a great sign, right? Is in like, now you really have some indication or at least some early evidence that suggests you really hit a struck a chord with some folks or you've hit an area that where there's a lot of pain and not a lot of great solutions because you're willing to use a product that's incomplete. And then, like you said, process of feedback, learn from it, shift a better version, keep making progress, then you'll know it, right? But at least you'll be getting the feedback all along the way, which is really a critical element. At the same time too, though, like I do think there is some degree of like needing to power through negative feedback. Like you have to be willing to be able to identify like, is this really feedback that there's not a problem here or is this feedback that like the product isn't quite solving the problem, the problem in the way that I intended it to. And if it's the latter, you need to keep building you, because there's clearly a problem. People are willing to like invest some time and energy and giving you feedback because they are emotionally invested in it. But if, if there's no problem, that's when you need to like hard pivot off into something else. Good point. That's a key distinction there. Right. If, folks are frustrated and like want to churn because like product technically didn't create the ideal experience for them. Well, that's something you could fix. Right. But at the same time, they still wanted it to be able to do that. It just didn't at the moment. Maybe it doesn't, it's suboptimal or it's like technically broken or whatever. That's an easier fix. But if the value proposition is not getting great feedback, that's a whole other problem. Right. And something you need to address sooner. So good distinction there. And then the, uh, one of the last topics I wanted to talk about more with you because of your experience of product marketing and otherwise is this element of pricing, which you know is one that is kind of this elusive element of doing all of this work is to like figure out how to set pricing. I know everyone's got a different take on this as well too, but I'd love to hear your philosophy for our listeners in terms of how they should be thinking about how to price their products, when to start charging for their products, how to update that policy, any advice you have here as well too. Yeah, I mean, like start charging as fast as you possibly can again, because it's another good signal uh, in in terms of whether or not like the problem is validated. Like if people are willing to pay you for something, even if it's like kind of broken, that's great signal that you're on the right path. Um, I think like pricing is funny. It's it's sort of this like everybody kind of thinks of it as like black magic, and it's like there's some kind of magic to how you how you figure out like what what to charge. there is like a real science to it. It's hard to apply that science until you have a pretty significant, you know, amount of users that you can go out and like actually survey and conduct research with. But 
Um, generally, you know, the, the way to do that is you first go conduct packaging research where you do feature prioritization, um, through it's, it's called like Mac, I mean, you can do conjoint conjoint's really complex and expensive, but like Mac stiff, there's a bunch of documentation out there about how to do this. Um, it's a fairly simple framework for prioritizing, like figuring out what parts of your product people actually care about the most and should be packaged as like premium features. Um, and then you can do some price sensitivity analysis through, uh, again, there's a couple of other survey methodologies for this, um, Van Westendorf, David Granger, um, again, lots of documentation out, out there on how to do those, but, um, basically you do those two things sequentially, and then that'll give you a pretty good idea of like what acceptable price points are and how you should be bundling your product. Um, I do think like, you know, the, the big question these days is like with the rise of product led growth is like should I be free or should I have a free trial or should I just like charge up front? Um, and I think it, like we've had some, some interesting learnings as a company around this. Like we originally set out and we were like going to be fully freemium and it was like free until you upgrade. And I think, you know, when we were in that, like the product was kind of broken stage, we got a bunch of like false negative data where people were not like, because the product onboarding experience wasn't great, you know, that freemium experience didn't it just looked like everybody was just churning off like crazy but the reality was that we were just giving too much for free at a point when people the product wasn't delivering on the aha moment quickly enough in in it uh, early on so we actually decided to like move off of like a true freemium model for a period of time um i think we'll go back to it eventually but like now that we're charging now we're like actually charging people pretty much upfront and getting dramatically better engagement, getting dramatically better feedback. We're learning a lot more. So I actually think that, especially in the early days, you should actually charge people, even though it, and it's counterintuitive because you're like, the product kind of sucks right now. It's not, I'm not ready to charge people, but you actually want to charge them earlier and then move free over time because the product and onboarding experience will get so much better down the road. So um, I, I think it's it's kind of like doesn't uh, doesn't totally seem intuitive, but that's that's uh, one of our big learnings so far. It's a great point, and it makes a lot of sense when you put it in that context, right? There's a lot of exciting things about product led growth. I know it's exploded in recent years, and I've got a lot of value for it myself as well too. But to your point, when you're starting something new, and the product experience is seemingly like kind of like incomplete or inconsistent to a certain extent, it's going to be hard to leverage that strategy in order to grow potentially. So I like your take better uh, also because we're trying to get early stage validation, right? Where it's like, just like people using a product where the experience is subpar or less than ideal or whatever, paying for it is a whole other form of validation, right? In terms of like whether or not you're on the right track. So like the usually say people typically don't vote for things with their checkbook that they don't actually want. <laughs> but people might jump through hoops or use products, uh, test them, play around with them, watch demos all day, right? Just because they're curious. But when it actually comes time to pay, that's usually a different level of decision and a whole other extra form of commitment. So great yep. point there as well, too. Yep, yep. Very cool. Uh, Derek, can't thank you enough for being here, man. Super valuable information. I'm super excited to share this with the audience. Um, so I want to thank you for being here, but I've got a couple of questions for you too, before we let you go. The first is, are there any resources that you might recommend where folks can go to learn more about yourself, your work, or anything else that we talked about here? 
Yeah, I mean, I think resource-wise, um, best place to go is honestly the Ignition blog. So, you know, our, our website's have ignition.com uh, and then, you know, the blog is linked out to from there. Um, I think, uh, you know, just external resource-wise, I definitely like recommend um, anybody who's interested in product marketing as a, as a discipline, um, go check out Product Marketing Alliance. They're, they're the best resource out there for new product marketers. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we... Uh, we're discoverable at uh, you know haveignition.com. Um, we're also on Twitter with the same same handle, um, <laughs> and uh, that's probably where we're where we're broadcasting the most. Amazing, thank you. Great recommendations on resources as well too. We'll link to those in the show notes. And then last question I have for you is: Who should reach out to you, and how can they get in touch? Yeah, anybody who uh, anybody who is. A, looking for better product marketing in their company um, or has a product marketing team that is trying to operationalize their, their go-to-market process. Um, so, you know, we work with startups that are, you know, super tiny, fresh out of the gate, and they're launching their product for the first time. We also work with, you know, pretty large enterprises um, that are really trying to operationalize the process internally. Um, so, uh, and best way to get in touch is uh, haveignition.com is the website. And then, you know, my email is uh, Derek at haveignition.com. And, uh, you know, I love to hear from people, even if you're just curious. So uh, feel free to ping me. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you, Derek. I really appreciate you sharing that. We'll link to that in the show notes as well also. And I appreciate you being here to share your knowledge and experience with myself and our audience. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. <laughs> Very welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Product Launch. I hope you got value out of it. I like to feature product people on my podcast because that's who I love to help. I'm a product strategist and I can help you scale your business and grow your profit through a product. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you, email me at sean at nextstep.io. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at nextstep, N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. Or visit my website at nextstep.io. That's nxtstep.io. Hey folks, Sean here, and thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you did, I'd encourage you to also sign up for my free five-day email course about launching a profitable B2B SaaS application for less than $750. If you'd like to sign up for that course, you can do so at nextstep.io forward slash B2B SaaS.